The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I am a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I am also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father of three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Awesome. It is book review night. I am super excited to talk about Rise of the Ultra Runners by Addie Finn. Before we do that, let's talk about uh, what's going on in everybody's life. It's been a couple of weeks here. Um, Michelle, what you up to? I am in taper mode, I guess. Yeah, you are. I hope so. <laughs> well, seems like I am. I just keep reading these hard workouts in my uh, training piece. But for the most part, uh, just kind of winding stuff down and trying to stay healthy, um, making all the final plans that Boston sent out today for the COVID testing or the COVID vaccination verification and just kind of looking at the logistics of uh, staying in my hotel room all weekend until <laughs> 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 I get on the bus on Monday morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So we, we've been talking. There's nothing before. on my radar right now, except for that. Basically. Right. I mean, that's cool. That's fine. That's as your coach, that's kind of the way I like for you to be here. Uh, 10 I mean, days out be. from a race. So yeah. Well, uh, but, uh, but we're, we're in the heart or we're getting into here the, uh, the mad month here of the world marathon majors that we've been talking about for the past several months. Um, so the, uh, the Berlin marathon, which initially I was supposed to run was this past Sunday, the 26th of September. Um, and it went off. Um, 25,000 runners took part. Um, it was an uncharacteristically slow Berlin marathon because it was an uncharacteristically warm Berlin marathon. Um, well, this weekend, men. <laughs> so this weekend we have the, uh, the, the, um, London marathon is going to be taking place. Um, next weekend we have the Chicago marathon and Michelle is going to be bringing just the Boston marathon. Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, we have the, the New York city marathon notably absent is the Tokyo marathon. Um, Tokyo marathon sent us all an email a couple of weeks ago and said that the, 2021 Tokyo Marathon, which is originally supposed to be in April or originally supposed to be in March, but was moved to October, um, is now going to move again to March 6th of 2022. So the 2021 Tokyo Marathon is going to be on March 6th of 2022. And those of us who are planning to run the 2022 Tokyo Marathon said, wait a second, March 6th happens to be the day that the 2022 Tokyo Marathon is supposed to be. And so as you continued reading in the email, it said, the 2022 edition of the marathon is canceled. <laughs> <laughs> and so they said, we're going to circle back around with y'all in a month or so and let you know what we're going to do with the 2022 participants. But that date, March 6, 2022, is the day we're going to have for the 2021 marathon. So they're going to take the entire 2021 field that was supposed to run here in October of 2021 and just insert them on March 6 of 2022. And like the same way they did the Olympics, they called the 2020 Olympics, even though they were in 2021, they're going to call it the 2021 Tokyo Marathon, even though it's in 2022. But there is no 2022 Tokyo Marathon, just to be clear. Man, I think the Japanese have a way of just confusing things. <laughs> well, it was funny because to me, I, I understood very much what they were saying. I thought it was a weird messaging of it, but I understood what they were saying. Um, but Lord, the people on the Facebook groups just went insane. So am I running or am I not running? Is the race canceled or is it not canceled? Am I supposed <laughs> to show up in October? Do I change my plane tickets? I mean, people kind of lost their minds a little bit. Um, but, but to me, it was pretty clear. It was just a strange way of communicating it. Um, so, so much for my March Tokyo 2022 plans. I was originally supposed to run that, as you'll recall, on February or March 1st of 2020. I deferred <laughs> to 2022. Now that's been canceled. So it might be as late as 2024 when I run the 2020 Tokyo Marathon. 
I cannot figure out when you're actually going to next participate in one of the world marathon majors. Like right? it feels like you're just going to go to Paris in 2024 and right? run that commoner marathon that might happen during the Olympics before any of these other historically present world marathon major I, opportunities. I, I agree with you. And the funny part about it is that I was supposed to have ended 2020 with only London to go, having run five <laughs> of the six marathon majors. And, and yet I am still now stuck at three, uh, one of which was in the year 2000. Um, so, so yeah, uh, we'll see. I, uh, I have to f- figure out where the, or they have to announce where the age group world marathon major championships are going to be, which are qualified for in the spring. Um, we had to figure out where those are going to be. What would really be a note is if those got put in Tokyo on March 6th of 2022. And so I ended up running the 2021 Tokyo Marathon on March 6th of 2022 as part of the World Marathon Majors Age Group Championship. So then did the World Marathon Majors Age Group Championship take place in 2021 or 2022? It's taking place. The the 2020 and the 2021 one are both taking place this weekend in London as part of the 2021 London Marathon. So they're running the 2020 and the 2021 championships simultaneously. I don't so you know can, whether they're going to crown both a 2020 and a 2021 champion in the same race. Okay, right. but you could potentially run the 2022 World Marathon Major Age Group Championship in the Tokyo 2021 race. Yes. <laughs> that is ridiculous. <laughs> Done. Nobody will understand that. That's kind of Everyone fantastic. Will need to I didn't even think about it that way. Podcast. That's even better than I thought. So good stuff, Michelle. Um, so yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with that. I did get an email this week that I am, I, my registration for Peyton's wild and wacky 10 by 5k, which we've talked about uh, before on this podcast, uh, is, is my registration for 2022 is active. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know when I last signed up for it, but evidently I'm registered for 2022. And since I'm not doing Tokyo, I I may well be able to do it, but I guess we'll see. So it's your A race. It is so, now your A race. You know, it might end up being my A race. I guess we'll have to see. Uh, after reading Rise of the Ultra Runners, I definitely inspired to, to make an ultra run my, my A race, but but we'll see. We'll see. I have um, some ideas. Eric, what you been up to? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Howdy I, injured runner. <laughs> yeah, I have I've been up to <laughs> recovery, at least for the last few days. So, you know, we, we talked about running the Blue Ridge Relay and then we talked about a week after that, the plan was to run the, the Doggettville 12 hour. And that's, that was the plan for quite a while. And I was prepared for that. Uh, but my body was not, um, after, after Blue Ridge Relay, it was, it was simply not enough time, uh, to get ready for, for the 12 hour. And I didn't really know how bad it was. Um, even when I dropped out of the 12 hour, you know, I did 27 miles. It was all right. I was having a good time, but it kind of, I kind of lost the will to run. And then I, I realized I was really tired. So I took some time off and then I got back into it and I felt really good. But this Monday, um, I was doing a workout and I had taken Sunday off and I'd had a little pain in my hip, but this Monday, I went out for a workout and it was just uh, 25 minutes at 6:30, 6:35, you know, with a warm up and a cool down on either end of it. And going into mile two, my hips started hurting, and it was kind of one of those, eh, this will this will calm down. 
And about a half a mile later, it hadn't calmed down. And then eventually, um, I just had this explosion of pain in my hip. And I've never, I, I can't ever remember stopping a run mid-workout due to that sort of pain. And I, so I, I pulled up the side of the road and I tried to stretch it, tried to massage a little bit. You know, it's just my whole hip on the front side of my hip. And, and that seemed to make it feel a little bit better. And there was a little downhill that I was, I'd come up to. So I figured I'll just kind of jog down this downhill. And I got about 15 or 20 steps and I had to stop again. I was like, all right, let's try to stretch it a little bit and do a little bit of that and took a few more steps and it wasn't having it. So I bagged there, kind of limped, walked, uh, walked back to the office because I was doing this over lunch. And uh, since then, haven't really been walking real well. Uh, I've got a lot of swelling on my hip. Um, I think I've, I've got some I, IT band issues and I might have actually... Uh, develop some bursitis in my hip. So, um, I'm, I was giving it three days to kind of deal with just like some rest and icing and, you know, massage and see if that would help out. Hasn't really had the effect I was hoping it would. So I'm going to get a set up a doctor's visit, go see the orthopedist and see what they say. You so, like your orthopedist though, don't you? I do. Yeah. 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 I've got a good orthopedist. So, you go, go see what's going on. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know how bad it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's, I can walk. I took a day off of work. Um, you know, just rested as much as I could, but I can walk. Um, I can go up and downstairs and whatnot. Um, I was actually, you know, I, I left one piece out of this and, and I think this is probably what, what kicked it over the edge. So I did a, I did a double on Saturday and I did a nice easy run with grace. And then I did a, I did like, I think it was a three by seven minutes at six thirty pace or something like that with, with some breaks in between it. And I did it over at Duke university on this really nice trail, but, um, didn't hurt after that. But when I came home, I had all this, we just had our house re-roofed and this, this is where the stupidity comes in. And when they were done, they had a bunch of the, the leftover uh, roofing materials and they had them nicely stacked where I told them to when they were done. Well, that's where I told them to nicely stack it and Melissa corrected me on where they should be. So I had to move them. And I spent about 45 minutes, you know, like lifting and carrying these things over. And I think that is 100% what did it. You talked about how you left a piece you, out of it. This whole week, you never mentioned that at all. But I didn't even see. I didn't even realize this till this morning, Michelle. It was this morning. I was like, you know, on Saturday after that run. Yeah. And so I, I think, you it's know, I don't know if anybody that stuff. You never carried roofing material around. I think each one of those bags is 65, 75 pounds, and they're just kind of awkward. I mean, and, running is. And I had to carry them under our deck you know to yeah i know yeah if you guys could see the the face michelle is giving me right now and we're going to screenshot this this is the one we're going to put on instagram Um, (laughs) how can you just blow up your hip just running the way that it happened and everything that you've described it and now you've basically added a whole missing piece to the puzzle well i can say this though i didn't feel any pain on saturday 
doing that. But I, I guess the key. Oh, that's awful. What, so it, it, what it reminds me of is is Adam Goucher, um, you know, who's married to Kara Goucher, uh, University of Colorado runner back in the day, Olympic trials qualifier, uh, one of America's great runners in the mid to late 90s. He, I want to say, missed a major race like the Olympic trials or something because he got injured shoveling gravel. Um, like he, he needed to shovel some gravel around his house and he got injured. It also reminds me of like a Paul McMullen, who was a great miler in the mid 1990s. And he cut off three of his toes mowing the lawn with no shoes oh. on. Um, and so it's like, it's like, you're not the first runner to, to hurt themselves by doing things that aren't running Eric, but, uh, but, but it is easy for those of us who are runners to hurt ourselves doing things that aren't running. You know, if it makes you feel any better, I had to take Tuesday off of running entirely um, because I lifted heavy weights for the first time on Sunday in a long time. And I didn't even really lift all that much. And I was so profoundly sore on Tuesday that I could barely walk. I was teaching my class and I dropped the marker on the floor and I was just like, forget it. I'm just not going to use that marker anymore. <laughs> oh my God. You know, George, I can tell you this. Um, uh, that does not make me feel any better. <laughs> But when you were talking about Adam Goucher, all I heard was you remind me of Adam Goucher. And I kind of stopped there. There you go. Um, That's cool. That works. That works. That, that made me feel better. That works. Time. That works. Good. Whatever makes you feel better, buddy. But <laughs> glad you're going to see an orthopedist. Um, yeah. I, I have an appointment um, in a couple of weeks. Originally, it was going to be tomorrow, but I moved it around because I have some other stuff I want to do tomorrow. Um, but in a couple of weeks with uh, a person that is a uh, neurokinetic therapist. Um, and neurokinetic therapy, NKT, is something that we read about in Rise of the Ultra Runners. Um, uh, and he spoke so highly of it in the book that I was like, well, I can probably find somebody who's a certified therapist in that regard somewhere in this area. Um, this is actually a booming cosmopolitan metropolitan area. Uh, and sure enough, I did. And so I'm going to be going to see this particular therapist over the course of the next couple of weeks. So I'll circle around with you all after that and let you know how it goes. Um, but that is a little bit of a segue. Let's talk about the book. Um, Seriously, that's some of the most depressing running talk I've heard from both of you in a long time. <laughs> for me, no, I'm doing okay. Um, I just was really, really sore on Tuesday because I made the mistake of, of doing heavy squats for the first time in a year and a half. Um, I, uh, I liked the book. Um, it Of the three books that, that, that Addie Finn has written that I have read, um, and I always kind of figure that, that I know an author pretty well after I've read three of their books. I've now read three of his books. I thought this was the best of the three. Um, and I thought they've got, it's, it's the most recent of the three I've read. And I think that they've all gotten better as he's gone along and read them uh, and written them. And I've read them. Um, the first one was um, um, uh, the, the uh, Running with the Kenyans. Um, and in Running with the Kenyans, he was a brand new runner. Uh, and he heard about barefoot running. He had read Born to Run, and he thought that he would learn a lot from running barefooted and, and training au naturel with Kenyans. And so he goes down to I-10 and all sorts of other Kenyan training camps um, as just this kind of neophyte runner um, and, and basically lives a life for like six months that most of us who have spent a long time running would kill to live um, and 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 writes about his experiences there. And some of it was very interesting, but some of it, he was so frustratingly new to running that, that it almost felt like the opportunity that he was given and the chance that he had to run with these world-class runners almost felt kind of wasted on him. Um, at least that was my impression when I got to the end of the book. Um, and then he writes The Way of the Runner. 
um, which was all about uh, Japanese running culture. Um, and it was all about why is it that the Japanese people um, are so good at marathon running? Why are they the second or third best running marathon country in the world? What is the secret sauce for, for the people in Japan? And so he goes and does the same thing, lives for six months in Japan with his family um, and, and dives into what it is uh, that makes them great. Um, that one was better because I felt like he went in with fewer preconceived notions. Um, it was almost like he learned what it was he didn't know. And he went in there with a little bit more of, of um, a scientist eye, um, a social scientist eye. Um, and then this one, Rise of the Ultra Runners, um, was all about how ultra running has been growing. And he has now established himself as a pretty decent runner. He's a sub three hour marathoner. And so he said, well, I think I'm going to throw myself into the world of ultra running and see how it goes and see, see what the appeal is for all these people who, who ultimately do it. Um, and over the course of a fairly short period of time, he ran a whole lot of ultra races, um, include, including um, a lot of marquee ultra races, um, well-known ultra races like Comrades and UTMB. Um, he did ultra races of all different sorts, um, including the ones that are really highly organized with trackers and ones that are sort of the, the, the backyard type. get lost that, in the that, desert that, for six days. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, so he did stage races. He did, he did single day races. Um, he did mere 50 Ks. He did hundred miles plus. Um, and, and we got to hear about his experiences along the way. Um, did you like it, Michelle? What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Um, I listened to it instead of actually like purchasing and holding the book. So it was a little bit of a different experience for me. I used it as uh, just some of these like two and three hour long runs that were just kind of steady state runs just to kind of get lost in it. So I really appreciated just the storytelling portion of it. Um, it sort of felt like it broke it up. You know, every single race was sort of a different segment. Um, I appreciated that he did not hold back on, you know, on any of the kind of gory details of the nitty gritties of getting into these races and uh, feeling awful and, and hating it. And, you know, all the way to the point of a day later, he's trying to figure out his next race. So I felt like I could relate to, to a lot of it, but I thought that his journey into the sport and how he really just like knew nothing about it and then just immersed himself in it and then found all the people who knew about it and could help him immerse himself in it even further um, yeah. And then, you know, basically uh, all the way to the heart of getting to race in UTMB. So I don't know, it was just seems like a very, I, I, I was thinking the whole time is what would you like, you'd have to be incredibly privileged or, you know, just have the job that he has or be in the position that he's in to get into ultra running, to do all the races that he did in the time period that he did comrades in UTMB and get to like really experience it all. Um, so I definitely think it's worth a read. I do. I am glad that we read it. I think it was a, a big reprieve from the heaviness of uh, having read Bravey last quarter. Yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, I liked it. I, I'm glad we read it together. I don't know if I would have read it on my own. So I, I, I've been wanting to read it for a while, but I'm glad that we read it together as well. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I feel like he in, in, and again, this is something that I just mentioned when, when it came to running with the Kenyans, he came into this one as somebody who didn't know a whole lot about ultra running, but, but he's, he's done it enough now to where I feel like he has, he has the wherewithal to know something about running 
Sure. Right. He, he's yeah, learned absolutely. enough about running to be able to, to write intelligently about running. And he also, I think, has he, he recognizes he, he he's learned enough about the sport of running to recognize what a privilege it is that he was getting to to spend time with people like Zach Bitters and Camille Heron and Jim Walmsley and stuff like yeah. that. Whereas I felt like in in running with the Kenyans. It's like he didn't he have did, an appreciation. He, he really didn't like yeah. he did. He didn't know that he was living the dream. Right. Like he, he just didn't know that. Um, and, and I think in this one, he really kind of recognized, OK, this is something really special that I get the opportunity to do. Um, um, and I don't know if that's maybe because he was doing this one from home as opposed to like having to move his family halfway around the world, which is what he did for for each of the other two. Um, but but. Um, I don't know if that necessarily changed his orientation towards the project itself, but this one I felt, I, I, I thought felt different um, in that regard, but he still had some of that, well, I'm brand new, so I'm going to use myself as an experiment, as an N of sure. one, um, which I think makes his books kind of compelling. Um, Eric, what do you think? First off, I'm really glad we read it. I think it's, there's a, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a history lesson or a history book on ultra, which is what I think he was, he was trying to write alongside this story of himself kind of autobiographically going, you know, diving headfirst into the ultra scene. But I thought my favorite part, and I think I've actually said this in the past two podcasts that we've briefly discussed this. My favorite part are all the interviews, mm -hmm. yeah. the interviews, the quotes, the reasons why people got into the sport yeah. what keeps them in the sport, what keeps them going when they're out there, the differences in the, those people and their backgrounds and when they started running and, and what they've gone through. I, I, and I'm not talking just the, the, you know, famous people that he, that he, you know, he, he talks about Sage Canaday and, and Zach Miller, but some of the other people that he just interviews on the side of the trail or while he's running it. I just love that stuff. I love hearing about people and their stories and you know um, i'm that guy like in the middle of a in the middle of an ultra i'll actually start having a conversation with the person and ask them like oh where'd you come from what are you doing and you know how many other ultras have you done and i'm not picking their brain to see if i can beat them you know am i better than them i just i kind of want to know their story so that was my favorite part of the book and and I'm, every time someone's name came up I think I said this once before to the, the two of you, you know, some of these names, I don't know. And I, I'd go look them up on the internet. Oh man, that person is freaking cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you get even deeper in, into who they are and then actually learn what they've done since the book was written mm -hmm. because the book is a couple years old. It's, it's actually, it's 2019 maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he actually did the running in 2017, I think. So, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're four years removed. Um, from some of this. So I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the book. There are, there are pieces of it and maybe some of the ways he maybe characterizes some of his own exploits and, and running and stuff that I think might be on the, the edge of, you know, storytelling, like how big the fish was, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, but those parts are few and far between and, you know, woven into that is a really cool story some really cool races and some really cool people so i enjoyed it yeah and i think you know it's funny you talk about being the guy at the trail races who talks to other people um i think that that as someone who who is primarily a road marathoner just speaking for myself here like 
when I spend time around trail runners and we're in trail races, they want to start talking to me and stuff. I'm like, shut up. We're racing. <laughs> like that's just, that's not the culture in which I'm raised. Right. Um, and, and likewise, like when trail runners come out and, and, and start trying to run road 10 Ks, they'll like start talking to you the first mile. It's like, I'm not here to talk to you, bro. Um, and, and so I think some of his going into these races um, he, and he, he never said this really explicitly, but I think leaving the culture of road marathoning where it's so competitive and you see your competitors in, in a certain light in a very cutthroat way, and then going into the much more uh, collegial um, and friendly culture of, of ultra running was something that really threw him for a loop. Um, and, and so he would, he would talk about, you know, pulling into these aid stations and people just like talking, you know, having conversations with them and, 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 uh, hopping on board in, inside of groups of people and things like that. There's just not something that at all aligned with his experiences, a road runner and as a road marathoner. Yep. Um, I thought that was super interesting and it was kind of fun. Yeah. I agree. I agree yeah. completely. Yeah. Um, favorite parts least favorite parts let's go with favorite parts what was your favorite part michelle i liked when uh just the way that his kids impacted his ability to i mean i don't want to the way that I, I would say the influence that his kids had on you know whether he finished utmb hmm. just seeing them at the aid stations and you know reading through how he worked through i don't know an absolute uh crushed low point um, and just, I would say from that point until the end of the book, I mean, I just think that that storyline right there sort of, uh, just epitomizes everything about, I mean, you hear it all the time, like you're out there for a hundred mile race and you literally have absolutely nothing left and your legs are shattered, but somehow you just find a way to get it done. So I totally want to explore that more. Let's contextualize what you're talking about though. Because, because, so he throws himself. Well, I'm trying not to like. You're trying not to get choked up, is what you're trying not to do. No, I'm wait, trying wait, not wait, to wait, give away the. Like a new side. The the <laughs> no. mother of three girls were First saying of all, here. The cold CPA breaks down emotionally on the podcast. Mark okay. the date, everybody. But 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 no, I understand what you're saying. You're trying not to ruin it for people who have. Can we give a yet, little bit right. of context that when but, I mentioned the fact that he runs UTMB, Eric lost his shit on the test group <laughs> because I ruined the book for him. So, so, so now it's like you want. Me I to think tell that was just Eric giving you a hard time. So so he, so here here's what we should say is that that as soon as he began emerging himself in the world of ultra running he found that that uh utmb the ultra trail du mont blanc is is the super bowl of ultra racing and so he set his mind to actually qualifying for and and ultimately competing in that race um and and the climax of the book is him competing in that race i don't think that's a spoiler to actually say that in the book um and i think that that um there's so many See, other Eric? sort of twists and turns he takes along the way um <laughs> that 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 actually uh it, it makes it okay to, for us to say that um but yeah and i also don't think it's a spoiler to say he struggled during that race he didn't just knock it out of the park running a running a race in the mountains around three countries in central europe um and and at the moment when he was at a really low point he runs into his kids and they ended up inspiring him yeah um, I will say that I just remember listening to the part of it where he was, you know, five hours ahead of where he thought he would be coming in like the first 70 to 90 kilometers of yeah. UTMB. And he thought he was just going to kill it. And I yeah. was thinking like, 
man, you really know nothing about this race, do you? Yeah. Like you have no, like you haven't even gone up the steepest climbs or the worst descents or, so it was just like, as I was reading that, it felt like you could feel the noviceness of him Yeah. just in his, when he made that phone call, meet me five hours ahead of schedule. It's like, you're yeah. never going to make it. And, and he then, did and it and anyway. And then he arrived just, five hours after schedule. <laughs> I think he arrived like 12 hours after schedule, but yeah. um, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's just, like so, could, so one yeah. thing in his books that I definitely saw in this one is he tends to go back to the breach over and over and over again with the same mistakes. Like yep. he makes, <laughs> he makes the same errors over and over and over and over again. And we definitely saw that in this book. Um, and, and it's almost to a comic degree um, because there were several times in this book, they line up at the race and he's like, I took a look around at the starting line. I look like more of a runner than any of these other bozos. I think I can win this race. And oh, they go out gosh. the first mile and he's feeling fantastic. And then he finishes like third to last yep. three hours behind the winner or something. Right. Gosh, he must have um, done and that. That happened. That happened again and again and so again throughout this book. And you would think that by the time he had qualified for and was competing in Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, which, you know, this massively competitive and incredibly hard ultra race in, in, in Europe, that, that he would have finally said, okay, I'm going to approach this humbly. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to stay in the moment. All that sort of thing. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, Eric, tell us about that. All right. And so, so you have been uh, humbled by ultra races before, right? I've I been mean, humbled by a few. Yes. So <laughs> it's and and I mean, I've been humbled by marathons before, but but I haven't run enough ultra races to be humbled by an ultra race, and, and so does that does that not change your approach to the next race or or every race forthwith when you actually get just beaten down so badly by a race or i mean or or, or is this typical that it's like he gets beaten down by a race and then just comes back and the very next race he's like oh no i totally got this now and then he gets beaten down again you know i i feel like that's part of his personality and, you know, we, we just talked about the Blue Ridge Relay and you and I actually had this conversation on the podcast about how we approached this year much differently than we have previous years. And it paid off. Mm -hmm. We came off slower. Um, I, I showed up with racing shoes. Thank you, Michelle. Um, <laughs> we, we reserved, you know, energy and and, you know, just kind of like the beat down on your body early in the race to be able to hold on to it later in the race. And I think it worked out. So I, maybe it's the shortness of time that he did all this, that he, he, he didn't mature because it takes time, not just that's maybe. A, that's an interesting point. <laughs> um, you know, maybe that's part of it, but I, I don't think that that's a typical ultra marathon or way now having said that i'm also a coach and an engineer and you know i've i've watched runners do this to themselves and and i you know with with grace my daughter when we do these we talk about okay what's different about this run and i think you learn a lot by teaching mm -hmm. so i also feel like i you know i approach this from a bit of a different perspective than many people because not only have i done it I've watched it and I figured out in my own brain for myself and for my runners, how to prevent it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I don't agree with it necessarily as, as being a thing that all ultra runners have. I do agree with what you said. though. <laughs> he, he, he makes a, 
it, the same damn like, mistake every time. <laughs> you know, you're watching them. You're watching them make the same meal and get sick over and over. Right. And yeah. and that that was yeah. So that just to, to close that out. I agree with his approach. I don't agree with that, like in the grand scale. Okay. I think, I think your point about him doing it all very quickly is, is very insightful um, because I, because I think that, that you have to reflect on something in order to really be able to learn from it. Right. And, yeah. and he, he's reflecting on it in the sense that he's recording his thoughts and he's recording what it is that happened and all that sort of thing. But he's not really saying, okay, what were the big takeaways from this race that I could apply next time around necessarily um, just because he doesn't have time. He stacked all of them up so quickly that he has to immediately start thinking about the logistics for the next one, as opposed to the larger philosophical and psychological takeaways that he can apply moving forward. Um, so yeah, maybe that's why, um, or like you said, maybe that's just his personality or maybe there's something about like, I mean, and, but, but, but I guess what I wanted to know is that, that there, there must be something about ultra runners in general, because he, he, he describes, and Michelle made this joke on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he describes how, how awful he feels many, many times throughout the course of this book, like this, how, how exhausted he was and how beaten down he was many, many, many times over the course of this book. But yet he keeps on going back and doing it. But I think that's the part that he gets right. That's the part that is good point is uh, less of being the novice ultra runner that he is and speaks to the true reality of what it takes to be an ultra runner and what you hear almost universally from many ultra runners. Mm -hmm. So I found that part to be, whereas he would make these stupid mistakes going out too fast or fueling, he seemed to really understand and be able to get into the, like to the psyche of, of the ultra runner. Like he seemed to feel it. He seemed to experience it. All of the, you know, masochistic side of it, the ridiculousness of it, the, I'm never doing this again to sit a day later, you know, going back to the ultra race calendar, signing up for the next one. It didn't hurt that bad. Um, and, and he also, interestingly enough, he, he made lots of points about how, uh, part of the art of ultra running is problem solving, Mm -hmm. which I think is something that we've talked about before. So Mm -hmm. it's like, he figured all of this out from a really high level. He just didn't he didn't like incorporate it mm-hmm. <laughs> as much for himself is um, mm-hmm. as I think it, it would seem that he, you know, whatever could have, I guess, mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> or, or maybe, or maybe he would but he seemed have to understand it spread, it spread out over two years or three yeah. years that, that it's opposed to six months. Yeah. He, um, I think that's a really, and I think that's one of the reasons why I ultimately liked the book. Right. Um, is that, it makes that, sense. That, that he did like, he, he more than the other two books, like he didn't go to Kenya and adopt the Kenyan ways. Like he didn't become a Kenyan um, right. culturally and philosophically. Um, he didn't go to Japan and become a Japanese person philosophically, culturally. Um, but there's a degree to which he did immerse himself in ultra, an ultra running. And in some ways, philosophically and culturally, he became an ultra runner. Right. Um, if he'll make these statements, you know, you have to understand the thing about us ultra runners or the thing about ultra runners is, and he'll say three things. And every single thing is, you could have heard it in like a Courtney DeWalter or a Killian interview. You know what I mean? You've, it's, mm-hmm. it's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I think the funny thing about that, I think the way 
he got to some of those conclusions were the way he, yeah, the way he did was um, just talking to so many different ultra runners. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, he had to hear those things over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the list of runners that he talked to, and I, I'm kicking a dead horse here that it, he had to hear those things over and over again. He did a really good job of picking things. You know, he didn't just interview these runners and then write down everything he said. He, he did a really good job. And that's probably one of the reasons why I, I enjoyed him talking to him of getting into something that they were specifically interested about or something that was specifically interesting about the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked with, uh, Scott Jerick about nutrition and he talked about the uh, low carb, high fat diet. So he went specifically into that with Scott Jurek. I mean, can you imagine what kind of conversations you could have with Scott Jurek? And that's a big piece of what he talked about with him. Um, he talked about, um, who was it? Uh, Sage candidate. He talked about drug testing mm-hmm. and how the, the world of ultra is behind in drug testing. Um, and, and, how, about, and how they think they're immune and they think they're immune. Right. Mm-hmm. He talked about, I don't remember who it was. He talked to somebody about social media and how that affects impacts or how it was also runs. Sage Kennedy. Mm-hmm. It was Sage Kennedy also. Mm-hmm. So he, he didn't just like do a history or a story about each runner and everything. He took different pieces, but mm-hmm. I feel like in all of those interviews, he started picking up on, the patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's how probably Michelle, he came up with those, those list of three things. And you're like me, me, very <laughs> much me. <laughs> Thank you. I think, I think he also, I think he was also, there, there were several people he listed in the acknowledgements too, um, that, that I agree with you that the people he talked to, to, the people he had the opportunity to talk to, and not just the people that he had the opportunity to talk to, um, like Sage Candy, for example, um, but the people that he really spent a lot of time with, like he talks about this guy um, who fittingly for an ultra runner is named Tom Payne. Um, and Tom Payne is this really, really accomplished British ultra runner who he ended up spending a lot of time with. Yeah. Um, and, and so he ends up uh, being heavily influenced by, by Tom Payne more than just like you would be in an hour long interview. They spent days together um, uh, not only training, but, but staying in the same room and traveling and, and going to races. And then they ended up spending some time together, literally during UTMB as well on the trails, um, in the, uh, in the, 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 uh, acknowledgements, he also talks about Jason Coop. Um, and he never mentions Jason Coop in the book, but Jason Coop is, is a coach for Carmichael training systems. Um, who's an outstanding coach. Um, of ultra runners and and has a very keen sense of the world of ultra running as well and he writes about that a lot in his book um and and i think that the fact that he spent some time talking to jason coop probably helped him to develop a, a little bit better understanding of the ultra world too um i also think that that one of the reasons and let's be honest that he was able to to enter into the world and culture of ultra runners um, unlike the world and culture of Kenyans or the world and culture of Japanese people is because like there wasn't a barrier to entry. Sure. You know, I mean, like, like, like he's never going to be Japanese um, or at least to the degree that, that he was going to become a British expat who now lives in Japan and is effectively a Japanese person. That would take a lot longer than six months. 
Um, and, and same thing with, with, with being a Kenyan person, right? But, but you can, but, but he was already an accomplished marathoner by this point. Um, and so for him to actually steep himself and become enculturated into the world of ultra runners, um, I think that was a shorter bridge for him to cross. Um, and I would say one of the things I was also surprised about was how many options he had for races just within mm-hmm. kind of, you know, yeah, where he cool lives, too. not having to travel very far. Mm-hmm. And all of these can check the bucket list for qualifiers for UTMB, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like he, he rarely traveled, you know, that far away from mm-hmm. Britain, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he California. yeah, he did, he did that Miwok 100 in California. That he talked about a lot. Yeah. And he um, did the desert race, yeah, but, but yeah. most of the rest of the stuff, he checked the boxes pretty locally yeah in, one countryside one you know mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah which was cool which was which which was interesting um it and it also it, i think it also feels like and maybe i'm i felt this this way um it also feels more attainable like if if and more accessible like if if i decided that i wanted to qualify for utmb um, and I wanted to throw myself in the world of ultra running, I could do that. Um, whereas if I wanted to go live in Japan for six months and try and get a sense of the way that Japanese Ikiden teams train, I couldn't do that. Like I, 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 I couldn't effectively do that. I don't think. I do think um, his professional credentials helped him get started. Uh, in, in this book. Yes. I think so too. Which yeah. neither of us have those. So, speak <laughs> I for yourself. <laughs> just got his foot in the door like he could say you know i'm writing an article i'm a journalist yeah. i've got this yeah. connection and that connection i agree but, um, i agree i agree you know i don't know if it, it would actually uh, work in 2021 for him the way that it did in 2017 just because there's so much more information now even though it's only been four years like we can get all this information from so many different sources but at that time some of these small races if someone said i'm going to write about your race i'm going to publish this they probably jump at that opportunity to have that person in their race but sure. now it feels like that's a dime a dozen <laughs> so maybe maybe eric what was your favorite part oh i i didn't have a specific favorite part i didn't i didn't read something and say that's my favorite part i, I think I, I, I had a, a bunch of small favorite parts. Mm. Um, I, I enjoyed reading about comrades and I know you did too, and I'm not going to get into part. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that. I know you're going to get into that. Um, I think, you know, I, I told you guys, I, I read this on my phone. I got it through iBooks and, and I kept bookmarking pages and underlining things that people said. And, he says at the very end of the book, he makes this comment about, you can't really put your finger on why you do this. Mm-hmm. Like it's impossible to really define why you do this. And I think through the book, I was sort of like looking for why the different runners that do it, you know, why they do it. You know, you look at a runner like Sage candidate, he finished college and he said, oh, I'm going to start ultra running, you know, and you look at this guy, he's this, you know, we, we just had a video sent to us of this guy um, and he's out goofing off with his friends. He eats 18 pancakes and then he goes and runs an 800 is a two seventeen eight hundred, And he's, he's doing everything he can not to puke. And they're, they're videoing the whole thing. And you think like, what makes that guy want to be an ultra runner, you know, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so 
I enjoyed kind of going through and kind of reading about everybody's journey. You know, one of my favorite all-time runners, North Face runner, Rob Carr, um, I really enjoyed Zach Miller's comment. Um, he's talking about, I can't, was it the North Face 50 or yeah. something? Yeah. He's running along and he says, let me see if I can find it really quickly. He's running along and he says, so I'm running along and uh, oh yeah, we're running together stride for stride. So after a while, I figure I should try to find out who this guy is. And I said, my name's Zach. What's your name? And he says, Rob. And I said, Rob who? He says, Rob Crark. <laughs> yeah, this, this guy is out like, and he, he eventually pulls away from this guy who is one of the biggest names in ultra running. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're like, well, he didn't get into this because he was starstruck. You know, Zach Miller didn't go, oh, I want to be like Rob Crark. He, he just got into it. You know, and you read about his training in the book. It's he the he got into stuff. it because he used to run as far as he possibly could on his shore days on, on when he worked on a cruise ship. Exactly. And then, and then found that that on his shore days, he actually could run so much and really enjoyed it that that he might have some sort of uh, proclivity towards ultra running. <laughs> what he didn't even know what ultra running was right right yeah his, his, just his, get off his the old ship coach and... says why don't you go do yeah. this 50 mile race in maryland the jfk 50 and he went and did it and won it yeah um so I, I just i really i really enjoyed those little those little snippets of like yeah why this person does this do they some people do it because they really like to accomplish things some people do it because they're uh ocd mm -hmm. <laughs> this is their expression of their ocd some people do it, you know, you read the stuff in there about Killian Jornet and you're like, this guy's a total tree hugger, just loves being outdoors. And he's always been outdoors. He'd he's take a, he's a, he's a little him. kid. He's a big, yeah, he'd run kid. barefoot if he could, Yeah, but he's yeah. a beast. He's a machine, yeah. you know, and, but everybody's different. You know, some well, people do it to win. They, they do it to win and they know they're good at it. So they do it. And, and that was one of the things that was my takeaway of him talking to so many different people is that, that the motivations, even though there's not a lot of diversity inside of ultra running in terms of racial diversity and socioeconomic diversity and geographic diversity, which he, he spends time talking about that um, and actually dives into that. Um, but even though there's not that sort of diversity, in terms of the motivations that people have and why they get into ultra running, there is a wide, wide array of reasons that people do this stuff. And I thought that was cool. And I think that reflects running at large. Um, uh, and, and I think that it was interesting They even used him as an entry point that what he, like his motivation was different as a runner and it changed with the, the more ultra runs he did. Um, yeah. and so, so I just, I thought that was interesting and I liked that a lot. Um, um, and, and, and it's, and people are so different inside of it. You had him going up and, and, and talking to, to Zach Miller who lives off the grid, um, halfway up a mountain um in colorado and then you have sage kennedy who has has built this massive social media following um and and that's sort of his personal brand um and they compete against one another in in a lot of the same races um it, it, i i just think that's really kind of fascinating it makes for a much more diverse and interesting crowd of people on the starting line than i think that you might otherwise expect um totally agree
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the comrades chapters. He devotes two chapters to the comrades marathon, which I appreciate it. Um, it's the largest section of the book. So, yeah. And it should be because it was fantastic. <laughs> and, and, and I might only be saying that because I'm completely enraptured with the comrades marathon, as we have talked about on this podcast before. Um, and, and of course, I, I joked with the two of you after I read those two chapters that I didn't even want to read the rest of the book. I just wanted to read those two chapters over and over again. I didn't go want to go train for another race. I just wanted to start getting ready for my comrades. Um, like, like so, it, they, they were that good. Um, and, and they were not only good because he told so many stories of the history of the race, which I just frankly wasn't aware of. Um, but because he talked a lot about the culture and, and the, the process of the race, which I also wasn't aware of. Um, he talked about how they, 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 they sang the national anthem at the start, nobody really listened. And then they started singing Shoshalosa, um, <laughs> which um, for anybody who has studied South Africa at any level, and, and Eric, you have, you've lived in South Africa, um, Shoshalosa is a powerful song that has a deep history in that country and like literally even talking about it and thinking about the fact they play that at the starting line is giving me chills right now like i i am i am looking forward to no other moment in my life right now more than i'm looking forward to the moment when i'm standing on the starting line of the comrades marathon and they start playing social wilson like I, I, I can't even tell you how excited I am about that. And I don't even know when that's going to be. <laughs> that might be like 2035. <laughs> um, but it just sounds so cool. Um, and then talking about like the buses, um, the so-called buses. That was so cool. Yeah. That was so cool. You have to explain that though. Um, no, you so, can't. You can't. So I, 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 I think I can. I don't think that's I don't a spoiler. think you can explain that. So, because so, when you read it, when you read it, did you know what was going on? I didn't. Okay, and Michelle and I didn't either because we we read that. But let's just but it was amazing. Leave that as something so cool oh. and All such right. a big All part right. of that. And that's All a right. teaser. Go read the book just All so right. you can read about comrades and the buses. Yeah. yeah. If you don't know about what it means to get on or off the bus at comrades, you need to go pick which, up. Which 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 I didn't know. <laughs> which I didn't know. Well, you're I gonna have to figure the... out your bus, George. So so uh, no, and <laughs> we, we can talk about why I'm not gonna be riding one of the buses later. Um, but you've but already I... got a race plan. I, I knew. Yes. Yes. <laughs> duh. I've had one for 10 years. I just shoes, needed to, need I just need to get to a place where, where I felt confident that my body could hold up. And thanks to my percussive massager and my deviate and nitros, I'm actually at that place. Um, so thanks to both of you. But anyway, the point is um, um, there, there's more to that race. Um, and I, and uh, of course there is. Um, there's more to that race that I didn't know about that he talks about in this book. And I loved it. And, and it, it makes me even more excited to do it one day. Um, he mentions a book called Runaway Comrades um, and in there. And I immediately ordered that book. Um, and it's by a former, a former comrades winner um, who talks about growing up in South Africa and what comrades meant to him. And then, of course, he, he runs it and wins it a few times. Um, I also thought it was fa fantastic and fun that he says that, can you imagine if the local race that everybody wants to run was an ultra marathon? Um, <laughs> and so if like for people from, from Atlanta, that would be, imagine if the Peachtree Road Race was not a 10K, it was a 56 mile race. Um, and that's kind of the way that he describes the Comrades Marathon. 
That's um, and, the opposite direction every year. Yeah, yeah, which I love that too. And the up there, <laughs> the, so the cool. up, the up way and the down way. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, but, but the idea that that you know, if you're a good athlete or if you're a runner, people, people around here would say, oh, if you run the peach tree, I used to really resent the peach tree when I was a younger runner because people would say, oh, you're the captain of the cross country team at Georgia Tech. Have you ever run the peach tree? I'm like, I've done a lot of harder things and better things in the Peachtree. Screw you. And I, and I had this resentment for the, for the Peachtree road race. I've talked about this on the podcast before. Can you imagine being like, oh, yeah, I run cross country at the University of Witzvatersrand or whatever. And, and, and somebody says, oh, have you run the Comrades Marathon? <laughs> have you run this 56-mile race? Or, or when you go out for the cross country team at your high school, they say, they say, oh, that's really cool. One day you'll become a really good runner and run a 56-mile race. Like That's the race that everybody aspires to. Can you imagine how, the, the, the impact that has on the running community inside that country? Um, that's insane um, and fantastic. I do have one thing about that race. That So the history of the race was you know, bringing the comrades from the war back together so they could, they could right. run together. That's, that's kind of the history of the race. But what and, I think and, is in honoring the fallen comrades from World War One, honoring the fallen comrades. Yeah. Like, thank you. But what I think is really interesting about this race, and it's sort of replicated in most ultras, is there's a time cutoff. Mm-hmm. But the way in which that they they enact the time cutoff in the comrades marathon is pretty harsh. <laughs> There's, there's no other word than harsh because, mm-hmm. you know, it, you can finish the peach tree walking. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the vast majority of people do. Humbling. Yeah. If you're not in one of the back time groups, you could you could almost run it twice, three times. I have. <laughs> okay. In 2014, I did run it twice. I, 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 ran, I ran it from the front. I jogged back to the start and I walked it with my, with my dad and my wife. Yeah. I've actually finished the peach tree, turned around, ran back to the start. My dad hadn't even started. So it's mm-hmm. a similar experience. Yep. But at Comrades, when the time cuts off, I mean, there's a huge party going on. People are going crazy. There's a light show, a band. When the time ticks off, it just, the lights turn off, the band shuts down, the people stop talking. And they close the finish line. Yep. Right, but they, there's they, also people literally like missing the finish by ten meters. Why Seconds. can't you just let them? Like, what is <laughs> what type brutal. of race does this? It's brutal. It is brutal. I mean, you, after after 50, 59.999 miles, gate shut. You can't. Yeah. They don't even let you cross. The I had to line. read that a few times because I actually didn't believe <laughs> what I was reading was actually true. Yeah. It was so extreme. You're you're running up the hill to the finish. You see the finish line. It's glory. Everyone's cheering you on. And then it just stops. And they Bang. <laughs> they Lights off. Music stops. Gate closes. <laughs> I was like, it's brutal. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I've been the person chasing cutoffs, you know, yeah. Grace and I were chasing cutoffs during the Black Hills 100, you know, it ended up not being an issue. So I know how that feels, but man, they wouldn't have shut down the finish line. Right. And, and I just and, don't get a belt buckle. Right. And you, and you, you could have crossed the finish line and you would have told everybody, including us, I've done a hundred mile race. And yeah, you finished this race. Fantastic. You're a finisher. Good job, buddy. Fist pumps all the way around. Grace. It's amazing what you did. You know, and 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 nobody would would think any differently of it. All these people go out and they run 
the entire race effectively and 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 they're not finishers and they're not only not finishers officially like they don't finish in the results but people would not call them a finisher like they they <laughs> they, they wouldn't be willing to say oh well no you you still did it nope nope, nope. that's not the culture of the race <laughs> no. and I, I think that bleeds into kind of the whole culture of ultra you know but that's a that's a i don't know comrades is obviously its own set of extremes <laughs> which is obviously why george is so excited to run it <laughs> I, I i i would not have thought honestly i would not have thought if you would have Some said those- oh well george um i know that you really want to run the the comrades marathon uh, and i would have said yes i'm very excited to run it one day i mean when i visited south africa in uh 2004 um, I spent a month there and we, and we went, uh, to all over the country. Um, and when I was in Durban, um, which is where either the start or the finish is, depending on the year, um, um, we went to Peter Maritzburg, or at least we drove towards Peter Maritzburg. And we were actually on the course for a lot of the comrades marathon. And at the time I was like fascinated by it. And we drove past like the wall of champions. It has all the names of the people who have won it and all that sort of thing. And, and, I'm talking to our guide about it the whole time. And he was into it. He was like fired up that there was somebody that knew what the Comrades Marathon was and, and knew that they do it in one direction one year and another direction the other year and all that sort of thing. And our the head of our group that was there, this professor from Armstrong Atlantic State University in, in Savannah, um, got really annoyed. And he goes, why don't you just run the damn race? And I was like, I plan to, prick. i will one day um and 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 ever since then i i I mean i very much have always wanted to do it um and so if you would have said to me george is there anything that can make you more excited about running comrades one day i would have been like no i'm super excited i'm 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 fantastically excited about it i cannot wait i'm actually more excited about it now than i was two months ago and and it's in 100 because i read this book um, awesome. yeah. what year do you think that will happen for you I, you know it's hard to say um i the hundredth anniversary of it was 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 set for this year was was 2021 um and so my plan had been thinking you know before COVID 19 that oh i would try and run the hundredth anniversary um and then that's that's not going to happen um and so now it depends on when i run tokyo it depends on when i run berlin it depends on kind of all these other races that that were supposed to happen in 2020 um maybe i'll run it for the year i turn 50 maybe i'll run it in 2024 but of course that year i also want to run the, the the 2024 paris marathon so one good thing about the comrades marathon two good things about the comrades marathon number one it's not going away it's not going to be true. like a one-time opportunity like like i it, I can run it 10 times still between now and the end of my life, um, which would be cool because I'd get a special number. <laughs> um, and then two, whenever I do ultimately get to run it, it's going to be awesome. And I, and I know it's going to be, um, and I have super high expectations for it and I know it's going to live up to them. And so I'm super, really, really excited about that. Okay. So can we, can we move from the comrades marathon? <laughs> yes we can what else would you like to talk about eric whatever we talk about is going to be you know it's going to be kind of resolution that's clearly going to be the climax of the conversation just saying (laughs) so there were there were three stories in the book there's there's many but there's three stories in the book about runners that i i think set some 
uh, what's the right, the mindset, the psychological mindset of a, of a ultra runner. And, and they're very diverse people that are in these three stories. So I kind of wanted to set the three of those up and then get y'all's reactions to those. All right. So the first one was, um, he talks about, so Addy is talking about, um, the mindset of being in the moment and how that's so important to ultra running. It can be important to any distance running, but how it's so important to ultra running, because whether you're running 50 miles or you're running hundred miles or you're running 30 miles, the halfway point, you're still more than a half marathon, a marathon or a 50 mile run from the end. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what you have yet to do can be a very, um, it can be a very demanding thing for your brain and, and can actually start to create psychosomatic type, you know, reactions in your body that actually shut you down. So he mentions, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about this, but he, he mentions this one uh, ultra runner. Um, I don't know if she's Dutch. She has a Dutch name, I believe Diane um, Van Deren, and she had brain surgery for an epileptic condition. And the result of this was she didn't have very good uh, long-term memory. So she sort of lived in the moment and she couldn't, you know, um, I think it says something about, she couldn't read maps and she couldn't like think about how far the race was. So she was literally running in the moment all the time and it made her very successful. So my question to you guys is like, you know, mindset wise, when you're running these longer races, and I guess I'd gear this more towards Michelle because she actually runs ultra marathons. Um, what do you think Ooh. about that? I don't know. <laughs> you're going to have to re-ask the question because I was dealing with. So it's the mindset of being in that moment, not worrying about the 50 miles you have yet to go, or even thinking about the 25 miles you've just done. Like how important it is to stay in the moment rather than allow, you know, what's coming or what's happened to slow you down or even stop you. It's flow. It's the flow state. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, you can do that in just about any distance race that you do. Honestly, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because I mean, I've done two official races in this buildup, which is, probably like two more than I've done in almost any marathon buildup. And one was a 10 K and one was just a half marathon. And they were both, you know, more some type of workout incorporated, but even just in that small distance, I literally was practicing just stay in the mile that you're in because when you get to the marathon distance and more, if you try to think about what happened five miles ago, or the fact that you still have 20 something miles to go, you'll just fall apart. Um, so I think, I don't know how anybody, yeah, I think you have to be in that moment. You can only really deal with what is happening right then and there in order to get, you know, 10, 20, 30 miles down the road and be able to look back. And uh, I think you can, can lean on kind of how far you've come in order to keep going, but you just can't focus too much on how much more there is to go, I would say. I think it's, I think it's, I, I agree with Michelle that I think it's critical in races of any distance. I think it's critical in a 5k, um, not because you have so far to run, but because you're running so fast and being able to hold that pace for as much, many more minutes as you need to hold it is, is, is intimidating. 
Um, I think you have to stay in the moment. You have to kind of do what it is you, you need to do right there. Um, I think it's certainly important in a marathon. In a marathon, you get to the, the, the 16 mile mark and you've been running hard for a really long time. And you, if, you, if you take too much to step outside of yourself, you realize there's 10 miles to go. And that's kind of a long way. Um, and so you definitely psych yourself out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, but, but, but to your point though, and to your question, Eric, I think it's probably most critical in an ultra marathon for all of these same reasons that, I would that, 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 that you, you, you will completely lose your mind if you start, if you spend too much time thinking about how much is left and where you are in the race and, and, and you set that against how tired you in, 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 inevitably will be. But I would actually say that in an ultra, I think you have to balance that with being able to really plan and problem solve. Mm -hmm. Because if you've got 10 miles to go to an aid station and you've got to negotiate being able to, you know, tell your crew how you're feeling, what you want, what you don't want, what you're going to change out, what you're going to change on your body. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have that plan also. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like maybe in the marathon or below, you really can get away with just focusing literally just being in that flow state and really just focusing on the mile that you're in because you don't have so many, you know, tactical decisions to make for miles and miles and yeah. miles. That's, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's a good I point. See both sides of it. I think that's a good, I, I think you make a good point because I mean, and, and kind of what I hear you saying, or at least what, what I think about when you say that is that, that when you, when you have to solve a problem in a marathon or in a 5k for that matter, when, when you have to solve a problem, there's, there's really kind of only like one solution, right? Limited problems will arise. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, and the problems aren't catastrophic and there, and there's probably really, the solutions probably slow down a little bit and that's pretty much the only solution. Right. (laughs) But, but in, in, um, in an ultra marathon, the problems are potentially catastrophic and the, there are multiple possible solutions that you could try um, and, and which one is the right solution to try probably is, is going to be influenced by how far you are in the race. And so you have to actually be aware of how much there is to go in order to make the right decision. So I think that's an interesting point, Michelle. Huh. Well, I, and I think you, I agree with both of you. And I think that one of the difference in the ultra is in a 5k you're not going to be mentally exhausted at the end of a 5k. And in a marathon, I think physical exhaustion is probably going to be much higher than mental exhaustion. But in a, in an ultra, when you start getting into the 50 and the hundred miles, mental exhaustion is going to be a part of the deal. And if you're not in the moment, if you get all this, you know, if you waste all this mental energy on how much I have to do, and you're not focusing on the actual moment, I think your brain will get too tired and then it will start affecting you physically. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, when he, when he was talking about that, that's how I thought about it. I thought about this, like mentally, like exactly what Michelle was saying, you know, Grace and I have this pattern when we run together, it's okay. We're two minutes from the aid station or five minutes from the aid station. What's our, what's our goal in this aid station? Um, what are the things we need to do before we get there? you know, and you get late in a race and you're worn out, you forget one or two things. It could be 10 miles before you get to recover from that. Mm -hmm. And now you've got to think about that for 10 miles. Mm -hmm. So being in the moment and planning, you know, saving that mental energy to plan that next step, I think is really important or that random thing that comes up and 
you know, it's going to, every race is going to have that random thing that comes up that you got to really, really problem solve. So do you think that's something that you train yourself to do uh, better and better over time? Yep. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and, and I also, I also find it fascinating, Michelle, because I know that the, the Leadville 100 is, is your version of, of my comrades marathon. Totally. I, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting that the problem solving aspect of ultra marathons appeals to you most. I, I, I just think that's interesting. Um, well, what are like, what do you think should appeal more? I don't know. Like, like the, so, so the exhaustion going into that super dark, deep, exhausted place. I know that appeals to some people, the sense of accomplishment that you would have at the finish. Um, I know that, that appeals to a lot of people. Um, the, the experiencing something historic and meaningful, um, uh, like what you're going to have at Boston in a week and a half, or like what you would have if you in Western States. I think that appeals to a lot of people that appeals to me. That, that's part of what appeals to me about comrades. But it um, just feels to me like if you're not sold on the problem solving and that whole aspect of it, how can you like, that is the whole race almost. Mm -hmm. Like no, you I can have it, all the I, fitness I in the world, but if you can't problem solve, like you can't be an ultra runner. I, I, I agree with you. And I think it's super important. What I think is interesting and a little bit unexpected um, is that that's what you find most appealing about ultra running. Like that's you, you, you want to do an ultra marathon because you want to test your problem solving ability. I mean, I want to test physical fitness limits and all that also. <laughs> I just feel like I... I feel like there's a lot of that. Like I'm in a huge category of a lot of people that have a lot of that, but I think the problem solving stuff, unless it's just out of my control, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. So That is a great segue into something <laughs> I wanted to talk about physical. No limits. way. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think this is going to have to be the last thing we talk about too. Cause, cause okay, well, I, I think we're about to cross the Michelle, the, the, the Michelle threshold here. She got a good, she got a good night's sleep last night. She's good for another 30 minutes. <laughs> so, so he, 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 he talks a lot about and a lot with Elizabeth Barnes mm -hmm. and uh two time winner of the marathon, marathon de Sable. Yeah. And uh, her quote that he keys in on is if you always succeed, uh, you don't know where your limits are. Mm -hmm. And you've heard me say this plenty of times, you know, if, if I don't get myself to the point where I puke, I don't know, you know, how far I can take it. And mm -hmm. you, you heard Grace actually say that. That was, that was the highlight of the interview with Grace. Right. <laughs> the, the, so, the, the, the highlight of the interview with Grace was when she said something to the effect of, well, we won't know if that's the actual limit unless we actually cross it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, which yeah, I thought was such a, such an interesting thing and such an insightful thing for, for an 18 year old girl to right. say. She talked about setting up these arbitrary limits for yourself mm -hmm. and they hold you back. Um, so, so you, but juxtapose that quote with the whole section he has about um, the Kenyan runners mm -hmm. and uh, Francis, the runner, he brings over from Kenya and he enters in a 50 miler. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a mentality thing, right? I, I keep this, like, I wanted to talk about mentality because Francis is running in this 50 miler and he's doing quite well. I think he's, he's winning. 
winning. He's in the lead. And his quote is, I stop. My toe hurts. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was amazing. He teases this out a little it bit. It was hilarious. But he teases, it's, it's hilarious to us when you think about the problem solving and what an ultra marathon runner does. You know, I have a book on how to fix a toe blister. A, a blister. I have a book about blisters. It's a whole book. It's like 300 pages on how to care for blisters. I forgot about this part. This is the most ridiculous. So so, so to contextualize it just a little bit. So so (laughs) because there's so little diversity in ultra running, he says, let's do a crowdfund. Let's do a go a GoFundMe type thing. And let's raise money to try and get a couple of Kenyans who are who are great marathoners to run an ultra marathon and see if they just smoke everybody. And so, so eventually there's some shutdowns and all that sort of thing, but eventually they get this guy, this, this 207 marathoner, um, 208 marathoner into, into a 50 mile race. He goes out there, he's running along the way. He gets about halfway point of the race. He's like, yeah, no, I'm done. My toe hurts. And, and, and Addie, the author thinking about all these people who had contributed money because they wanted to see this happen, thinking about the mentality or the culture of ultra running is like, yeah, everybody's toes hurt. Keep running, and he's like, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm done running. I, I don't want I don't want to hurt my toe anymore. You know, I, I don't want to get myself injured, not being able to continue to train to 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 do sub two ten marathons on the road." And he stopped, and he refused to go on. Right, and he keys in on two points. He keys in on two points. One, there's no money in the race, and and it's ridiculous. And and the the Kenyan marathoner is basically saying, "Look, it, it it's not worth it. This this isn't." my livelihood, my, or my livelihood is running. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to injure my feet when I'm not making any money for my family or myself. And that mentality though, is just so off mm-hmm. of the ultra, you know, yeah. mentality of, right. Oh, Oh, my, my entire, the entire bottom of my foot has just sloughed off. Mm-hmm. Patch me up so I can keep going, mm-hmm. you know? Like it, it is, it, I don't know. I, I thought it was interesting. And Michelle is just giggling here. <laughs> She's covering her face and laughing. No, that's great. Yeah. And, also, and I'm not just post a blister. So I really feel the feels. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, you told me I couldn't, I couldn't, but I do have to mention one other thing. And, you know, I always have to end on something that's at least a little, bizarre or funny but the runner that just epitomizes ultra running to me is this runner that Addy ends up running with in one of his races I think it's one of the European races and it's he just calls him his Dutch friend he doesn't actually name him ever name him during the race and he doesn't he doesn't name him for a reason I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure he knows his Dutch friend's name but he is going back and forth with this guy, you know, he's in front of him and then he's behind him, And the guy is kind of gruff. He's, he's definitely more like a George type runner. He doesn't want to talk to you. <laughs> he's, he's, except, he's, except at one point the guy drops trow and poops in the middle of this beach, which George would never do. <laughs> and that is the point in the race that I wanted to point out. And I wanted to say that mentality of, I'm going to keep going no matter what, even, you know, I get lost 
uh, I've got this blister or whatever. This guy literally in front of Addy, in eyesight of Addy, on an open beach, <laughs> on the trail, simply squats, does his business, and keeps going and makes no mention of it. <laughs> I really think that is a that's an ultra runner mentality that does not extend to the 5k. <laughs> I feel like it does extend to Michelle in Chicago that time though. <laughs> this, is, this is so true. Well, Michelle is an ultra runner. So, you know, so Michelle's an ultra runner at heart. So she's a problem solver. So tune in next week, everybody to, uh, to hear us tell the story about the time that, that, Michelle went Dutch in Chicago. Um, <laughs> Cultural niceties fall to the side. So, it's all about finishing the race. I also Absolutely. had E. coli, so I have a little bit of a... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Eric, thanks for reading the book with us. Thank you for bringing your ultra runner point of view to the conversation. I loved it. Uh, this is a great book. The best of the ones we've read so far since, since I've been part of the podcast. So I'm, I'm glad we picked it. I'm glad we read it. Well done, awesome. Addie. Awesome. Uh, Michelle, when are we running Leadville? Um, when I have like a few months to go live at 10,000 feet so that I can actually run Leadville really well. So like next year then? Yeah, yeah sure, George. <laughs> sure, sounds good. <laughs> uh, thanks, th- thanks for being here, Michelle. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a night, George. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here4slayrx, that's the number four, slayrx, Twitter, at official slayrx, and Instagram, here for slay rx the number four slay rx discount code pleasant 21 on behalf of michelle frank patrick ollinger and eric hall i'm george darden thanks for listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast see you next time